He was battling some things that he'd been battling for a long time. And I was there when he was at a place where God could use him. And uh, I I laid my hands on him and began to pray. And as I began to speak with tongues, as I felt God move on my prayer, it was so beautiful to hear my big brother, who backslid when he was a teenager, began to speak in that heavenly language again that I don't think I had ever heard him speak all growing up. Even though he had, I never really knew it. And it's a blessing. You never know how long it's going to take some people. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, He's faithful. If you've struggled or you know family members or friends that have struggled, we're talking 30 years here, folks. God is faithful. Amen. This song, every time I hear it, I don't know if I can make it through it, but I'm going to try. I want you to hopefully, oh, wow, they're amazing. They got the words up. That was impressive. I got her five minutes before church. I got her the words and they're up there. That's pretty impressive. When he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough. He is a liar He will take your breath Stop you in your steps Fear He is a liar He will rob your rest Steal your happiness Cast your fear in the fire cause fear he is a liar when he told you you were troubled would you never be alone when he told you you should run away you never find a home when he told you you were dirty And you should be ashamed When it told you you could be the one That grace could never change Oh, fear He is a liar He will take your breath Stop you in your steps Fear He is a liar He will rob your rest, steal your happiness, cast your fear in the fire. Cause fear, he is a liar. Let your fire fall and cast out all my fear. Let your fire fall, your love is all I feel. Let your fire fall and cast out all my fear, Jesus. Let your fire fall, your love is all I feel. Oh, fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear, he is a liar. He will rob your rest, steal your happiness, cast your fears in the fire. Cause fear. Liar, cause fear 
desire. Why don't you stand with me right now and love your God? Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. God, we know you've got it all under control. Wherever I am, whatever I face, God, you're faithful. You can handle it, God. No fear is going to stop me any longer. Every time when I've failed to go forward and I've been afraid to do something and it's taken my breath away, God, I know you're still God and you're able, Jesus. Even when I'm not able, you are able, Lord. And I love you with all my heart today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. In the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 34, one of my absolute favorite verses. My church laughs at me when I say that because every time I read a verse, I say it's my absolute favorite verse. The book is just too good. If you ever want to understand God's definition of love, I'm about to read it to you. It is not the television's definition of love. It is not the romance definition of love. It is not the Hollywood definition of love. But it is the only definition of love. It says very clearly and plainly, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm going to preach to you the greatest treasure. If you place your Bibles down for a moment, lift your hands and just open up your heart to let God touch you today. God, we love you with all that is within us. We thank you, Lord God, for a great opportunity to be in your house this morning. Of all the places that we could be, of all the the turmoils that we could be involved in, God, you've allowed us to be in your presence this morning, in your house. And Lord Jesus, on the authority of your word and by the power of that name, Jesus, I bind every demonic spirit, every human spirit, anything that would try to stand against your plan and your purpose for your people today. In the name of Jesus, I bind them and I leave them powerless. And God, right now, by the power of that same name and in the direction of your word, I release the spirit of truth into this place right now. I release Peace right now that passes understanding. I release a word of knowledge into this place right now. In Jesus' name. And I speak it again. Fear is a liar. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Give somebody a high five and you may be seated. Praise God. We love the Wyatts. I love Pastor Wyatt, and I'm so honored to be standing before you to deliver the Word of God. He, God just brought us together, and it's a friendship that there ain't nobody going to be able to tear apart because God formed us together as a unit. And, and I love your pastor and his wife and his family and his children. And as a result, I love you because uh, you're just all we're all family. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. We, we continue to remember him and the family in prayer and. Again, we give him honor. It is because of his authority that I'm able to preach and speak the word of God into your heart today. Hope you understand that. The authority of a pastor given by God is a special thing. And it's because of your pastor's authority that he has allowed me to move and work under that authority so I can minister to you. God gave you a gift called your pastor And as a result, he wants to make sure you're being ministered to even when he is not able to do it. That is a precious, precious thing. Amen. Let's give the give the Wyatt family a big hand. Amen. They deserve all of it. I had to laugh when he said Pastor Wyatt was speechless. And he said, because he's not often speechless. I said, well, that's the way God made preachers. We like to talk. (laughs) But thank God he gives us good wives that are good listeners because we do most of the talking. Not normal for men to talk as much as we do, but God knows what what is needed. Amen. Amen. Praise God for where you can put that scripture back up. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I have heard many, many times and many, many people speak. I may have even spoken of this here. I can't remember because I've spoken here so many times. I don't know what I've spoken here or not. I just let God direct me. And if you 
You just need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. Amen. But the, um, the, the, the basically our our media, our, our songs, if you can even call them that on the radio the, in the world, not the church in the world, they are. And if we're not careful, I just want to throw a little tidbit in here. If we're not careful, the worldly concepts can creep into the church songs, too, folks. Got to be careful of that. You got to make sure there's, there's a lot of awesome songs and I love them. Even the song I just sang. It's a beautiful, awesome song, but not one time do they mention the name of Jesus. That's why when I sing him, I just have to throw it in there every now and then. I got to let him know, hey, I'm talking about Jesus and I know who my God is. I'm going to make sure you all know, too, we're singing about Jesus. And uh, they they get into pretty and nice. And you got to be careful because so many of the amazingly talented Christian artists are producing what they produce off of their talent. And they have not been filled with the beautiful gift of the Holy Ghost. And as a result, they don't understand the moving of the Spirit. They just understand how to make something excellent and professional. And we want to be excellent and professional, but if I got to choose... I came not unto you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I want the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We don't want people to look at us and say, he's so talented. She's so talented. I want to I want to be like them. I want to do like them. No, no. We want people to come to church and hear the music, hear the, the singing and, and, and everything that's involved and say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. You want to put the focus on Jesus. I don't know why I feel like I need to talk about that, but that's that's good stuff anyway. Amen. Amen. Praise God. The world and the music and Hollywood, they don't teach. They, they say, well, I fell in love or I fell. I really like the way that person looks. I fell in love. And then for whatever reason, somebody else comes along and then they just say, well, it's just one of those things that happened. And uh, nobody was wrong. We just don't love each other anymore. We just fell out of love and there's just nothing we can do to control it. That's a big pile of what the cow does. And they call it a pie. Manure, garbage, baloney. It's a lie. It is not the truth. The Bible tells us where your treasure is there. Will your heart be also? Guess who determines what a treasure is? It's not the treasure. It's the person. You decide what is precious to you. What is precious to you may not be precious to somebody else. But you determine in your life, this is going to be precious to me. And let me tell you what, you have to make that decision every day and sometimes multiple times a day. You've got to remind yourself what is precious to you. And love, the Bible teaches through this verse, is a decision that you make. It is not something you fall into. When I was a kid, I'd walk up next to a pretty girl. This is how corny I was. Walk up next to a pretty girl and I'd be like, oh, poof, I just fell in love. It didn't ever work, but I did it a lot. That's lust. And just in case you're wondering, because lust is all about making you feel good. You can fall in lust a whole lot. You can fall in and out of lust all the time because lust is about feeding yourself and feeding what you want. Love is all about the other person and the value that you place on the other person. Or, you know, there's things that you can love that are not people. I love the church. I love coming to church. I, I tell people the most important thing in my life, it's more important than my wife, my kids, my family, my job, my everything, is the call of God in my life. It is precious to me. 
Because if I don't appreciate and I don't honor the call of God in my life, I can never be the husband that God called me to be. I can never be the father that God called me to be. And I can forget about ever being a pastor or a soul winner if I don't first acknowledge the call and my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most precious thing in my life. And my family is more precious to me than my church. Because ministry begins at home. But there's some folks that they, 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 see our generation, my generation, we, our parents were like the baby boomers and they would work, 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 work there. The work ethic of the baby boomer generation has been lost on the millennial generation. And I got to say, as much as I hate to say it, I'm a generation X. It's kind of lost on my generation too. There's some of us that can work and some of us can't. I never liked to work when I was a kid. I had to learn how to have a good work ethic. In fact, my Daryl, as you know, Daryl's my boss, and he can probably even remember when I first started that there, there was some times I would I would call out a lot because I just I didn't want to go to work. I don't know if he remembers that or not, but he'd be like, "Man, he's he's a good worker, but just out of the blue, he's calling out for this or calling out for that." I, I've learned how to have a good work ethic. I'm just messing. I always got to mess with Daryl every time I come. That's, that's just, you can check the box off. I've done that now. We can move on. So the, the work ethic of the baby boomers. But the problem is so many of them work so much that it was to a, a, a disadvantage to their families. So my generation, the Generation X generation, and even in the millennial generation, they have moved into, they want to... Make sure that the family is taken care of and the family is very important. And I, you look around, I see what people my age do and what we do, we do with our kids. Man, my mom and dad never did that kind of stuff with us. I look at the playgrounds that we played on and it's like, that wouldn't pass any kind of code nowadays. I mean, the playgrounds we played on were metal. And, 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 you know, there's sometimes they would be broken and, and you could, you know, you'd have to learn how to slide on one cheek so you didn't slice up your, your, your rear end. You know, this is we survived somehow. But if we talk about that nowadays, we're like, you are devil. How dare you even consider that for our children? Because our generation has moved to a love of the, a greater understanding of love of the family. And it's it just a different, I should say, not greater, but it's a different understanding of our love for the family. And they don't want to be the latchkey kid. They don't want to be left at home. They want to make sure that somebody is there for the children. But they got to remember, God's got to come first. If he is not, if God is behind your family and your family commitments you're going to fail your family and they are not going to understand. Let me just while I'm on this, I'm going to I'm gonna, man, we got a lot of rabbit trails going this morning. You got to be careful that you don't remove every single difficulty that your children are going to face. Because if you take all of the difficulties away from your children, they will become adults. And have never learned how to deal with a difficulty. And when a tiny little minor difficulty comes into their life, they lose their minds and they go crazy because to them, it is a really big deal. When somebody does something that is different and foreign to the way they think about how it should be, oh, the world is ending. No, it's called living in America. We are free to have different ideas. Amen. And you got to you were supposed to learn that in kindergarten. I thank God for some of the bullies I had to deal with. I lived in a rough neighborhood and I got jumped because one girl liked me and I didn't even know she liked me. But uh, the, the gangbanger, he liked her. So he got his boys together and they jumped me and beat the snot out of me. I didn't even know why I was walking in. I was like 12 years old walking into school from recess or from gym or something. And they just pounded me. And I'm like, what is going on? 
And then, then finally we go, we all sit in the principal's office and we're sitting there and I'm like, what happened? What'd you do? And I was like, what did I do? I got beat up. That's what I did. I don't even know what I did. But you know what I learned? I learned I can take a punch. I learned that getting beat up is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. That might that may have been good, may have been bad. But I'll tell you this. After that happened, I wasn't scared anymore. I didn't get intimidated anymore about somebody trying to do something or trying to talk to me. I was like, you know what? Nah, that ain't going to happen. That helped me on when I played sports, too. You get out, you get out on, on the, you know, somebody tried to intimidate you. That was how we ta- uh, I don't know if they teach that anymore, but I might, might be teaching wrong things. <laughs> when I played basketball, one of the things you had to learn was try to intimidate the, the opposing player. If you could get in their head... And you could, you know, maybe that's a form of bullying and I'm going to be politically, not being politically correct because you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to treat everybody gets a participation trophy. No, there were times I lost (laughs) and I didn't get nothing but soreness for all my hard work. But that taught me and I developed how to overcome difficulties. That's what we need to do. See, you got to be careful what you treasure. It's hard to see your kids go through stuff. But sometimes you've got to let them go through stuff. And you can you can sometimes be the helicopter parent and you can hover around, but you got to let them fall, let them get back up, let them brush themselves off and keep playing without rushing in. Cuz there's going to be a time when you're not there and they got to learn how to deal with pain when nobody's around. Where is your treasure? Look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John 12, 1 through 8 says, And then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served... But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Isn't that awesome? This guy was dead last time Jesus came to visit. Jesus raised him from the dead. And now, here it is. There's Lazarus sitting at the table eating food. And he he spent three days in a tomb dead. That's pretty awesome. And then Mary, the mother, this is the mother, or the, excuse me, the uh, the sister of Lazarus. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? In case you were wondering, that's how Judas sounded. He he, he talked like that. So now you know that's how he sounded when he talked. This he said not that he cares, verse 6. This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had had the bag and bare what was put therein. Verse 7. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor... Always you have with you, but me ye have not always. There are some disgusting examples of church mismanagement. I don't mean the church. I mean church in general, the people that call themselves church. Mismanagement of funds and prosperity doctrine nonsense and famous televangelists that take... Money from people who they need to be giving money to so that they can buy private jets and billion dollar homes and all of this nonsense. That, unfortunately, that's that's part of life. And here's the thing you need to remember. Let God be the judge. Every dollar and every penny that is given to the kingdom of God is going to be blessed and honored. Whether or not those who mismanage it and don't use it properly, 
they're going to have to answer to God for their actions. But the money that was given to the kingdom of God is going to be blessed. Anything you invest in the kingdom of God is going to be blessed. And in fact, the, the, the parable teaches us that you've got to invest in the kingdom of God for whatever God's given you. If you don't invest, what you have is going to be taken from you and is going to be given to those that have because they've learned to invest in the kingdom of God. We know you can't outgive God. We know that. We talk about Christmas for Christ and all the other things that we give toward the kingdom of God. I'm sure you've got a building fund that you're giving toward. I'm sure there are many, uh, maybe missionaries or this or that, that you're giving toward, that you're investing in the kingdom of God. And God will provide all your needs and everything. But why are you investing it? It's because there's a treasure that you've determined is valuable to you. And you've determined that that's where my treasure is. What you determine is precious is what you're going to have tender feelings toward. That's what you're going to love. That's what you're going. You see, you decide what's precious and then the tender, loving feelings follow after. You decide what's precious. I remember for those young people who are looking all starry eyed for their spouse to come. Who's going to be my mate? Who am I going to find? Man, I'm getting a bunch of blank stares. Nobody's. I grew up in a different time, I guess. Guess the kids today are like, where am I going to go to school? That's more important than who's going to be my mate. I was I was ready to get married. I was like, I figured out when I was like 11, I was going to find my wife and get married when I was 19 because I didn't want to get too old. You know, that way I was far. I was I was I was waiting long enough. I was out going to be out of high school and I'm going to find somebody. Yeah, it didn't didn't work out that way. I was looking, but they did they weren't looking back. <laughs> but when you're looking at you you're you're thinking about these things and, and, and everything, it wasn't until I matured and I realized, okay, this is precious to me. Anybody that is gonna even be in the category of somebody that I'm gonna spend some time with, they've got to love God with everything that is within me. There were some beautiful girls that did look back. But you know what? They didn't have the right relationship with God. They were not even attractive to me. And it was like, oh, she's pretty, but it's uh, pretty is as pretty does, as my grandma used to say. <laughs> you can look pretty, but if you don't act pretty, then you ain't pretty. Forgive my, my poor English. But there, th- th- you just learn... How to, how to put some, some categories. You know what? They gotta love God. They gotta know how to pray. They've gotta know how to have an under, have a, they've got to have their own relationship with God. Cause you gotta realize when I was looking, God called me to preach and be a preacher when I was 16 years old. I was preaching the gospel from the time I was 16 years old. So I knew my purpose in life from a young age. So here I am trying to move forward, trying to figure out What I'm going to be for 24 years, I've been preaching the gospel and there's nothing I could have picked better than the the, the woman God had for me from the beginning, even though she was 1700 miles away from anything I was looking at. God knew. Let me tell you, when you put God first and you treasure God's voice and your pastor's voice in your life, because when I found Sharon, I knew I was in love. And I was in lust and I was in love and I was in a whole lot of other things. So I went straight to my pastor and I said, Pastor Mooney, I need some I need some help. I need you to speak a word in my life. If she is not right for me, you got to speak now because it's like forever. Yeah, you might as well be forever. Hold your peace, because if I keep going, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hear anything else. I got to get this quickly. And we prayed and uh, and he spoke. He said, I don't know that she's the one, but I don't feel anything from God directing that she's not. So I'm telling you to take your time and keep seeking God. And I was like, oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear bang or bang so I can go this way or I can go this way. Because the further I go this way, if I have to go back this way, it's going to hurt a whole lot more. 
But God knew what he was doing. And, and, and then and about two weeks later, which felt to me like about four years, I go back to the pastor and I was like, what now? You hear anything yet? And he's like, everything feels good. And he's like, oh, man. I was like, man, she's the one, but I don't know. What do I do? And then God kind of directed me. And I, 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 I was able to have that counsel with those that had a clear head. Because I knew I did not have a completely clear head. I felt, but you can't go by your feelings all the time. You can't go by your feelings all the time. You got you to gotta trust what you know. And I know that my pastor had my best interest at heart. And he helped me and he directed me. My pastor's wife, they would talk to me. It was funny because I talked so much. I had all kind of people looking out for me. And it was, it was, I mean, Sharon is about as perfect as you can get. When she came to visit me in Bible college, they, uh, they, all the people are gathering around and they were all just sitting there giving her the stink eye. And they're like, who's this girl with Matt? We've been hearing a lot about her. What, what's going on? And then they met her and they all fell in love with her and that made me feel better. And then I go to ask her dad, this is not what I'm preaching about, but since I started the story, my, I get, you guys get to hear the end of it. So the, uh, I go to ask her father. I'm going to ask her father for her hand in marriage, and I'm as nervous as can be. I hadn't eaten for a couple weeks. Walk in there and say, I'm planning on, uh, I mean, uh, I'm going to, I'm uh, this, uh, coming over for, I'm going to be here for Christmas holidays, and uh, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on asking for Sharon's hand in marriage, and I would like your blessing. He just looked at me, Pastor Carter, you guys know Pastor Carter. The nicest, sweetest, meekest man ever. He just looked, didn't say nothing for a few seconds. And then he said, no. No. And I was like, eh. And then he started laughing. And I started laughing, praying. There was just a laugh. And then he was, he, he was just messing with me. That uh, He said, he said, I feel fine with it. And he said, if Sharon's happy, then we're happy. So, and uh, are you happy, baby? (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I hope you understand how much I love that girl. I love this woman right here. I'm embarrassed when I think back to then of what I thought love was. And I was like, I, I, I'll grab the moon for you, baby. I'll, I'll burn the world down for you, baby. But 17 years later, having been together and been used by God, been missionaries, been pastors, been hurt, been, been lied on, been cheated, been all these things together, we've, there's a love there that I can't express to you that can't happen except it ages with time. And what, what, what I'm telling you is I would never have even, even considered her if first it wasn't lined up with the thing and the plan of God for my life. You see, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Mary, Mary, she, she just got over the grieving of her brother. Her brother was dead. And she came before Jesus and she bowed at his feet and she worshipped him. And she said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But you're still my God and you're still awesome and I'm going to worship you. And he says, take me to where he is. And he says, roll the stone away. And her brother was brought back from the dead. And here he comes back to visit again six days before the Passover. And there's Lazarus sitting at the meal to eat. And here comes Mary. And she's not worried about what is the the proper protocol of what you're supposed to do when a guest is in your house. She says, no, 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 I'm not concerned with what other people think of me because I love him. He is my treasure. And because of that, nothing matters to me except making him happy. That's what love is, church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's about the other entity. And she loved him. And so she brings out 
this anointing oil of great fragrance. And she goes down at his feet as a servant. She takes the position of a servant gladly. And she begins to anoint his feet. The Bible says of what the cost of this in another passage of the scripture, that it cost a year's wage. I don't know what you make in a year, but there's very few things that I'm willing to spend on an item that is going to be used one time and then it's gone and it's going to take me a year to pay for it. Everything I got has got to, it's going to take me to pay for that. That's what she did because her treasure was Jesus. And she wipes it down and she cleans and she takes her own hair because she's not concerned about herself. Her appearance her, the way she looks to others and to anybody else is meaningless to her because she's filled with love. She knows where her treasure is. Do you know why this anointing oil was purchased? The biggest reason why she had it in the first place? You bought it to put on dead bodies so that they would smell nice. She probably bought it because she had a brother that just died. But this, this God, this Jesus, this Messiah that walked into her town, that walked into her city, that walked into her life, brought resurrection and life. So she's not worried about trying to make the dead look good anymore. Make dead things smell good anymore. Not investing her time, her effort, her energy, her life into things that are already dead. Some of you folks need to listen to what I'm saying here today. I'm preaching the word and I feel the Holy Ghost moving. You've got to stop investing in the dead man that was before you were born again. You've got to stop buying and investing and putting all of your effort and money and time and energy into something that's going to perish and die. But it's time to remember that you were bought with a price. Yet Calvary was for you. And that blood was shed for the cleansing of your soul. And when you were baptized in the name of Jesus, you were buried. And you were born again and raised to new life. When you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And now you've got a new home. You've got a new purpose. You've got a new mission. And it's time to take that investment that was meant for something that was dead and put that investment into something that is never going to die. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I have nothing against anybody that likes sports. I love, let me, I loved sports when I was younger. There was a time when I, I, I could talk a big game. I don't know if I could play a big game, but I could talk a big game. And, uh, I, I was into, I drive, uh, I spend a lot of time in my vehicle on the, on the day on the job. And I got, there's just only so much music you can listen to on the radio. Or just, just so I, I, I got into sports talk radio. Because I could talk about, I like sports. Nothing is evil about sports, really. And I, I could listen to sports and get into sports talk radio. And I listen to all the different things. I could tell you about the stats of this and that and everything. And I, I was big football, man. Football was was my big thing. And then a couple of years ago, through my season of life with my children and with my aggravation with some of the things that were going on with the with the football, I, I quit watching football. Two years, I haven't watched a single game of football. And the most amazing thing is, I haven't missed it. It was a huge part of my life. I quit listening to sports talk radio. I started finding how, how to get the preaching to get tuned into my, to my stereo system. And I can listen to the Word of God. And I can, I can just be more involved in my family and in my life. And in my, and it, for me, it, it was just, I realized I got to be, I got to reorient where my treasure is. There are some folks that football's a religion. 
It is Sunday. They're more faithful to their Sunday football than they are to their own jobs or their families or their kids or, or whatever, let alone church. And I had to get in. I had to recognize where is my treasure? And there's nothing wrong with football. You can watch football. That's fine. But you got to be careful that football does not take preeminence in your life or basketball, whatever. Yeah, if I was speaking in Europe, we'd have to they, they'd be like football, but they're not talking about football. <laughs> I'm American. Football is football and soccer is not football. I'm sorry. Praise God. That has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about either. John the Baptist. He was a man called from a very young age. In fact, he was called before he was born. He was a miraculous birth. And he, like Samson, like Samuel, held the Nazarite vow from the time he was born till the time he died. He was special. Didn't cut his hair. Didn't do all the things that he did because he was special, John the Baptist. Lived out in the woods eating locusts and honey and creepy stuff. I wouldn't want to be a part of But that was part of his calling and God provided and he spoke the word of God. He was filled with the Holy Ghost speaking the word of God. A ministry baptizing folks under repentance and leading and guiding. And then one day his cousin comes along, Jesus, and he speaks for the first time and he says, this is why I'm here, folks. Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. And he says every person that he baptized, he would baptize. I baptize you under repentance. But there's somebody coming after me. Whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to tie. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Next, I baptize you under repentance. But there's somebody coming after me. Whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to tie. And he's going to baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. Next. Thousands and thousands of people were coming along and he kept baptizing them and he grew in his ministry. And I can imagine what it would be like as a young person being John the Baptist, knowing God has a call and a purpose for your life. And you begin to see it begin to take shape. As you're speaking the things that God's given you, people are beginning to listen to those things. And you begin to get power in the anointing of the Word of God in your life. And people's lives are changed. And people are following you. You are like a pastor of a massive church. And God is in it. And you're not doing the wrong thing. You're doing the right thing. You are fulfilling all of your ambitions, all of your goals, all of your dreams. And you're speaking it forth. And your treasure is in the right place. And you're doing all of it. All of your potential is being fulfilled. You were not one of those that went and backslide and had to come back to God broken. But from the time you were young and precious, you kept yourself pure. You kept yourself right. You were there where God wanted you to be. And you're fulfilling everything God wanted you to be. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps onto the scene. This is your cousin. This is not a stranger. You probably sat by each other when you were even having pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. This is again the Matt McFarlane metaphor because they just so you know, the Jews did not celebrate Thanksgiving. They probably didn't know what pumpkin pie was back then. But I'm sure they have family get togethers and you know what I'm talking about. They, they were probably at the kids table together. They knew each other. They weren't strangers. But one day, God revealed who Jesus was. He revealed himself Hallelujah. to John the Baptist. And John had to step back and say, wait a second. He's been a great guy. He's never backslid. He's never done anything. But he has not been anointed. He hasn't been preaching. He, nobody's following him. How was it him? John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. Where's your treasure today, church? Got to make up your mind where your treasure is. Is your treasure, I want to be up at the platform. I want to be at the pulpit. I want a microphone. I want to sing. I want to preach. I want people to look at me and think I'm something. 
It, that, let me say, some of that motivation and some of that ambition is not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing to look at the, the preacher and say, I want to be a preacher. Right. Look at the worship leader. I want to be a worship leader. If it's, if it's the, the understanding, I want to be used by God. I want to fulfill the call of God in my life. But you've got to be like John the Baptist was. That even when it's a difficult transition, when God is transitioning, you better transition or you're going to lose it all. There are great anointed men and women of God that have done miracle signs and wonders. But God called them to move into a transition and they weren't able to transition. And now... They've gone so far, they don't even believe that Jesus is God anymore. That's what happens when you lose that transition. Because your treasure is in the wrong place. Where's your treasure? After these things, Jesus, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Wait a second. Baptizing, that's John's thing. His last name is the Baptist. Jesus' last name isn't the Baptist. Jesus' last name is of Nazareth. What's he doing baptizing? That's my thing, Jesus. No, got to understand where your treasure is. When God speaks, that's the treasure. I want to hear God speak. I don't ever want to be so overwhelmed with my own thing, my own desires, my own situations that I miss the voice of God in my life. Because every time I miss the voice of God in my life, I miss a blessing. I miss an anointing. I miss something that's going to make me better than I ever was before. Guess who happens to be in the same area? Verse 23. And John also was baptizing in Aon near Salem. Surprise there, John the Baptist happens to be baptizing. Because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying or about baptizing. And they came unto John and they said unto him, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. He that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth and all men come to him. Not some people, not a few. Oh, not. Oh, look, he's got his nice little thing going on there. But everybody's going to him. That's the guy you said, behold, the Lamb of God who cometh to take the sins of the world. He's over here baptizing as well, and everybody's following him. What gives John, your John, the Baptist? You want to know something? To the Romans, you can look up the history books. There's all kind of stuff about John the Baptist. You have to dig deep to find something about Jesus in the Roman history books. John the Baptist was famous. Everybody knew John the Baptist. Not everybody knew Jesus. Here's John the Baptist, the famous guy, and he's like, well, let me tell you, I'm the Baptist. I'm ready to lay it down now. That's how John the Baptist talked. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. What is he saying to them? He's saying, I know where my treasure is. My treasure is not on the fame and fortune that has come to me. My treasure is not about me. 
But my treasure is about the Lord God Almighty who has robed Himself in the flesh. And He's come. And everything that I can do to change your life is going to stop at a certain point. But there's coming somebody after me. There's somebody coming that death cannot stop. That the grave cannot have victory over. That He's going to save you. He's going to make you. He's going to mold you. And He's going to take you to new realms. And how does He end it in verse verse 30? He says, He must increase. And I must Decrease. Stand with me this morning. There is a Lord God Almighty. And He has chosen humanity to invest Himself in to reach humanity. You have a great option to be a part of what God wants to do. But you cannot go before God and say, this is what I got. You're lucky to have everything that I can give you. I can speak. I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. No. God doesn't give a flip about your ability. What He cares so greatly about. I said it before. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a great scripture, Romans 8.28. It says, I can do all things. No, that's not it. Romans 8.28. Let's pull it up. I want to say it right. And we know that all things work together. For the good to them that love God. And we always stop there. To them who are called according to his purpose. How does that happen? That happens where you get on your face. You don't worry about anybody else around you. And you say, I've got to decrease. Because the more I decrease the more he has opportunity to increase. And I can say that whatever's going on in my life, it's going to work for my good. It may seem like a bad thing. It may seem like a terrible thing. It may seem like this. And fear begins to rise up in me all over the place. And I don't know what to do. And I'm stopped in my tracks. And I'm wondering how am I going to proceed. But then I remember I must decrease. That he may increase. And let me tell you church. When you begin to decrease. And he begins to increase in your life. You become more than a conqueror. You become greater than anything that's going to come against you. Because greater is he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. Because you've decreased. And the more you decrease. The more he has space, the more he has opportunity to increase. And how is it going to happen? It never happens by accident. It never happens on a whim or just, oh, look what happened. I fell in love. No, it's when you decide. This is precious to me. The call of God is precious to me. The anointing, the purpose of God in my life is more precious to me than anything else. It's more precious than my spouse, my kids, my mom, my dad, my job. It's more precious than money. It's more precious than sports. It's more precious than a new car or new transportation. It's more precious than fame or fortune or power. God, your call, your purpose is more precious to me than anything else. It is my treasure. And I want to be willing to take everything that I've been investing in the wrong way like Mary did and invest it in the kingdom of God. I want to be like John the Baptist that even if he grows me to high heights and great great pinnacles, that he leads me to great uh, uh, understandings and awesome things are done. I want to still be able to decrease even more so that he can increase. <laughs> 
I'm going to pray a prayer. And as I pray, this altar is open. And I want somebody to get a hold of the horns of the altar and say, God, I don't care about what's going on around me. But God, I must decrease. I must decrease. I must decrease. Even if I think I've been doing good, I've been doing right, I've got it all together. God, let me decrease because I want more of You. I need more of You. I want more of You. You are my treasure. In the name of Jesus right now, God. Lord God, let the Spirit that is You move into this house. Lord God, touch every heart. Touch every mind. Those things, Lord God, that have become obstacles, I pray right now that they would manifest in the minds of the people. That we would begin to see what it is that we've got to get through. That we've got to get out of the way so that you can increase in our lives. Whatever it is, whatever you desire, your will, God, not mine, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
everything that has stood against your plan and your purpose. I rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. We unite together as your church right now, God, and we will see the salvation of the Lord in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus right now, Lord God, you know her heart's desire. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, let that heart be broken before you. Let it be what you called her to be. Let her grow to the understanding that you want in her life. In the name of Jesus, let her home, let her family. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you, Lord God. 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 We love you, Lord